Welcome to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience dating, love, and relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach and attachment expert, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. Today we're going to be talking about five traits of the dismissive avoidant attachment style. So really understanding what are some of those key characteristics that are common among many people who fall into this category of dismissive avoidant. Now, before we dive into that, I want to offer you a really important caveat or, you know, piece of maybe a mindset shift is a good way to put it when it comes to any discussion of avoidant people. Because in my experience, avoidant people get a really bad rap, right? A lot of, you know, whether it's comments on my Instagram posts, um, a lot of the time avoidant people are really villainized. You know, the, the frequency with which I see avoidant people being labeled as, you know, cold or as narcissistic or, you know, these really big loaded labels that, you know, basically paint these people as bad and malicious. Um, And obviously we can't speak about everyone, but in my experience, a lot of the time avoidant people are just people in pain and people in fear in much the same way as anxiously attached people, you know, their anxious behavior is coming from fear. So too is the avoidant behavior of the dismissive avoidant. And while it may be harder to look upon that behavior with compassionate eyes, when we feel like we are the victim of that behavior, shifting into, you know, depersonalizing someone's behavior and just looking at it from a perspective of, oh, that person's probably in fear and triggered in some way. And that's why they're behaving like this. There's a whole lot of growth and healing to be had in that, just that shift. So I want to offer that and really, um, you know, qualify and frame the discussion of avoidant attachment, because I do think particularly among anxiously attached people, there is a tendency to villainize avoidance. So nothing that I'm saying here about avoidant people is at all intended to paint them as, you know, bad characters. And I'd really encourage you to try and see these behaviors from a place of compassion even if you have been on the receiving end of them and even if that has been a source of pain for you and your relationships. Okay, with that out of the way, let's dive in. So the first trait of the dismissive avoidant attachment style that I want to talk about today is that the dismissive avoidant is fiercely independent and very protective of their autonomy. So very protective of their sense of self, Um, very protective of their space, of their, you know, separateness, of their interests, of their, you know, having their own life to themselves. And they're likely to be quite vocal about that and quite upfront about it. So, you know, by contrast with the anxiously attached person who is, you know, ready to go all in and, and doesn't 
have those really clear boundaries around a sense of self and will often, you know, lose their sense of self to the relationship, the dismissive avoidant really won't. (laughs) Um, And they do tend to see other people's needs as an imposition on their autonomy and that can be quite triggering for them. So the idea of another person depending on them or relying on them or needing something from them is suffocating and can really freak them out. Um, And so for that reason, relationships can be quite hard, right? Because obviously interdependency, which is this healthy, happy medium, is a key part of secure relationships. And so the idea that they could be accountable to another person and that another person might rely on them and they might have to, you know, bear another person's needs in mind and not just behave the way that they want to behave in a given moment. That's a really uncomfortable thing for the dismissive avoidant to experience. Okay. The next trait of the dismissive avoidant attachment style is that they have relatively low intimacy needs and they can struggle with commitment. So the relatively low intimacy needs, again, by contrast with the anxiously attached person who has very high intimacy needs, the low intimacy needs of the dismissive avoidant can span, you know, physical intimacy. They're much less likely to be physically affectionate They might say like, you know, I'm not a very, you know, I'm not really into PDA. I'm not, I'm not a hugger. I'm not, I don't like that. I need my personal space. So they might not be someone who enjoys sort of holding hands or, you know, touching someone's face. They might not like that sort of physical closeness. Again, they might feel suffocated or trapped by that. Um, Similarly, emotional intimacy can feel extremely vulnerable and uncomfortable for a dismissive avoidant. And, you know, it's oftentimes it's not even a deliberate uh, keeping someone at arm's length emotionally. It's often that the dismissive avoidant actually doesn't have the EQ, the emotional literacy and the self-attunement to know what they're experiencing. So if you've been in a relationship with someone like this and you've, you know, been tearing your hair out and that, why can't you just tell me how you're feeling? I don't know. Like, I can't get through to you. I just want to know what's going on. Oftentimes they actually don't know how they're feeling because that's not, you know, a, a tool that they've ever learned. It's not a way of communicating that they have literacy in oftentimes because they weren't taught that by their parents. And for many avoidant adults, you know, there was a level of avoidance in their carers, or they may have had carers with value systems that, you know, emotions are a sign of weakness. For example, you know, don't cry, um, you know, don't complain, don't basically don't come to me. You know, you need to be strong and self-sufficient and take care of yourself is often the the sort of internal working model of the dismissive avoidant and they carry that on um, and then carry that into their relationships and expect that of their partner, that their partner will take care of themselves and they can be almost repulsed by someone's show of emotion. They can find it quite, um, 
yeah, unattractive or overwhelming. They don't really know how to receive that and they don't know how to support people through displays of emotion. Um, struggling with commitment was the other part of that. Um, and it's sort of related to the, the independence and autonomy. Uh, so often a dismissive avoidant is not going to, um, be outward, outwardly expressive of how they're feeling about their partner. Uh, they're not likely to say, I love you first. They're not likely to, you know, generally be very expressive with words of affirmation. They're not likely to initiate, you know, emotional conversations about the state of the relationship. Um, it's a bit of a sort of hands off, like I'm let's not, we don't need to talk about it unless there's a problem. We don't need to talk about it. Um, and they, yeah, they're in that vein. They're unlikely to, um, be the instigator of commitment or moving the relationship to the next level. Okay. So the next point is that the dismissive avoidant has, often got outwardly high self-esteem. And I say outwardly because I think for many dismissive avoidance, there's some stuff going on under the surface and there may be quite a lot of pain and shame and suffering. But, you know, as I said, for many dismissive avoidance, they're actually not in touch with those heavier feelings and emotions. And they've developed this shield of high self-esteem. And so... They can be very confident um, and quite, you know, charismatic even. Uh, and, you know, in relationships, that self-esteem can often show up as, you know, thinking that they're fine and to the extent that there are any problems in the relationship, it's because their partner is difficult, right, or their partner has issues. <laughs> their partner's too emotional, their partner's hard work, their partner's too needy, they're fine, you know, they're not the problem. And, you know, again, looking upon this with compassionate eyes is because they really don't have the tools to A, support their partner or B, they don't have the, the capacity or the willingness to look inwards at, at what might be going on for them because they've got such entrenched messaging around basically emotions and vulnerability being unsafe. And so they've got this very you know, tight fitting armor in place that stops them from having to experience that pain. Um, and so that shows up as this sort of high self-esteem and, you know, I'm not the problem, you're the problem, that sort of defensiveness. And that leads quite nicely into the next one, which is the dismissive avoidant can be quite rigid in their boundaries, in their expectations, and even in what we could call their rules around the relationship. So again, we can contrast this with the anxiously attached person who is typically not great at boundaries, right? It's like they'll cave on anything. They'll do anything that anyone wants. It's just, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. I just want you to love me. Please don't leave me. Um, and will often, you know, override what's comfortable or preferable for themselves uh, in favor of that which is comfortable, preferred by their partner. Dismissive avoidant is the opposite. So they're they're very protective of their boundaries and often their boundaries take on this quality of rigidity um, and hardness. It's like such a black and white view of the world and of relationships um, and they're really not willing to negotiate on those things to the point where it can be quite um, 
unhelpful or, you know, there's no sense of healthy compromise or there's no conversation to be had. Um, they just have these, you know, almost dogmatic views about, you know, what's right and wrong, what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and, you know, they can really use those as a way to get themselves out of the relationship or to create distance in the relationship um, when they're feeling unsure, unsafe. Um, you know, one of the things about the dismissive avoidant is they're often looking for an exit or a way to sabotage if things feel like they're getting too serious or intimate. They feel like they're getting trapped. And so they'll come up with these impossible expectations of, you know, what a relationship should be um, and then insist that it's too hard or it's not right um, and use that as the basis upon which to end the relationship and really, you know, not be willing to engage in trying to work things out or trying to compromise or trying to talk through it. Um, They do tend to be quite black and white in their thinking. And last but not least, the dismissive avoidant often uses distance as a protective mechanism. So I've sort of alluded to this when talking about, you know, rigid boundaries and expectations and and having that as an exit strategy. The dismissive avoidant will, and this can show up in so many ways, right? It might be in conflict that they will withdraw, pull away. Um, It might be, you know, after things get close or if you you know, have a really great date with a dismissive avoidant, then they disappear for a few days. Um, Whenever they're feeling threatened, they will use distance to get themselves back to safety. And when we think about, you know, what threatens the dismissive avoidant, um, it's it's closeness, it's intimacy, it's being depended on. Uh, So, you know, if there was some sort of big milestone in your relationship, maybe you know, they were going to meet your parents or something, they might sabotage and cause a big fight and blow everything up so that they don't have to do that. Or so, you know, that they've got this like get out of jail free card to avoid the the vulnerability and the intimacy um, that is looming and that feels really unsafe for them. So that sort of umbrella trait of using distance as a protective mechanism or a way to find their way back to safety can really show up in a lot of different ways for the dismissive avoidant. It also might be something like, you know, just when you're in each other's company, they might just be sitting on their phone the whole time. Or, um, you know, another example, which is a bit of a, a tough one, but can be true. Like the dismissive avoidant might flirt with other people in front of you to make you feel insecure or to, um, you know, undermine, again, undermine the intimacy between you and undermine the closeness of your relationship because that scares them. Um, And, you know, that's probably a good example of where these protective behaviours of the dismissive avoidant can come across as really unkind um, or hurtful or cold and callous. And, again, I suppose a, a good thing to make clear here is that when we talk about depersonalizing someone's behavior, we're not doing that uh, with a view to giving them free reign to behave however they want to behave, even when that's hurtful to us or even when it's crossing our boundaries. 
But the idea is that when we don't place ourselves at the center of the story, when we don't make it about us, then we're much more able to respond in a measured way rather than a panicked, fear-based way um, or a, a very defensive way or a combative way, which is where we're going to default to when we think that someone's attacking us with their behavior, right? If we can go, okay, you're not attacking me. It might feel like that because I'm really hurt by this, but I can see that this isn't about me. This is your stuff. Um, and from that more grounded place, I can explain to you that that's not going to work for me. And here's what I'm going to need from you going forward. If we're going to be in this relationship together. So those are the five traits of the dismissive avoidant attachment style that I wanted to run you through today. I really hope that that's been helpful. Um, and stay tuned for future episodes. We're going to do um, a look into the anxious avoidant trap, which is, you know, what happens when an anxious person winds up in a relationship with an avoidant person. And that is ironically, given how conflicting their needs are, it's actually really common for them to end up in relationship with one another. So stay tuned for next week where we're going to be diving into the anxious avoidant trap. But otherwise, thanks for joining me for another episode of On Attachment. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could share it, if you could leave a review, if you could give it a five-star rating. It helps so much. But otherwise, just thank you for being here and I will see you soon. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. I've got loads of free content there. Plus, if you're interested, you can join the waitlist for the next round of my signature six-week program, Healing Anxious Attachment. Thanks again for joining me and I'll see you soon.